0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. We're gonna try something a little bit different today and we'll see how you like it. It's just gonna be me today because I read the NAEMT Summer Newsletter and there was an article in here that was so exciting, I just couldn't wait to set up another guest to talk about this. I wanted to take some time and go over some of the tips for creating a culture of workforce engagement because I felt like This is one article that just leapt off the page at me with my experience in the different places I've worked. And I think there's going to be some things in here that are going to resonate with you too. So I hope all of you are having a great summer. I hope you're enjoying your time off. I hope you're enjoying your time at work, whatever's making you happy these days. One of the things that is always at the top of our brains and always at the forefront of what we're thinking about is this idea of workforce engagement. We've had episodes in the past with the state EMS office and other leaders around the EMS community talking about how do we recruit and retain really high quality people? I bet that your organization has had discussions about this idea of workforce engagement and recruitment and retention. I think one of the reasons it doesn't always stick is because it's not data driven. It's kind of this idea of, well, I think we should do it this way, or what if we do it this way? And it's not its not using the actual quantitative survey results that people are putting in to drive the decision-making. So one of the things that the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians does is they do these big studies. They take all kinds of information about all kinds of things. So they might do it on trauma care. They might do it on ambulance safety. They might do it on... Uh, how popular a a certain class is and what they need to do to improve it. And this particular um, study that they did is they basically looked at what are some strategies that we all can do, not just the employer, but the employee and the, um, you know, the people that are working with you, what can we all do to create an environment and a culture where you're going to have this workforce engagement. And they took, they took all this data, they crunched it all together and they basically came up with um, 12 things that you can do to try to keep your really high-performing employees happy and how you can keep yourself happy when you're coming to work every day. Um, I read uh, every one of these 12, and I actually thought it was so good that I actually ripped this right out of the magazine and I carried it around in my backpack. I'm not kidding you. It's it's pretty cool. And, I, and everyone I've showed it to has thought that it's, it's really well-written and it's really thoughtful. So what I like to do is just take some time. And go over these with you and uh, hopefully you can reflect down a little bit and you can think about how this might apply to you and your organization so this is in the naemt summer newsletter 2023 if you have ever taken an naemt class you probably received uh, a complimentary membership to naemt for a year You may be a member right now. You may not be. Um, I'm a really big fan of the NAEMT. I think they do a great job with their programming. I think their courses are top notch. And they are the association that advocates for us as EMS providers at the federal and state level. So if something needs to be done to improve workforce conditions or needs to improve the education providers or the safety providers, this is one organization that goes to bat for you and lobbies on your behalf. So it's not very expensive. Um, you can look into it at naemt.org about kind of what, you know, the cost of membership is and, um, you know, what what is entitled to your benefits. There's benefits with, uh, you know, you can get discounts on stuff. But for me, personally, what I love about it is all of the time and energy that they put into trying to figure out how to make our experiences as EMS providers so much better. So this is really like the culmination of that whole project. So they call this article in the summer 2023 newsletter, they call it Tips for Creating a Culture of Workforce Engagement. So if you did get this newsletter and it's still sitting in your mailbox or your shelf, it's on page 10. So um, definitely open it up. I really, really um, highly Highly suggest it. So the first one that I think will resonate with most of you, number one, is take time to get to know your team members personally, celebrate and grieve during personal moments of significance and recognize their accomplishments. And so I'm sure that there are probably people who are listening to this who think about, man, I just feel like a number. Like I just feel like every day I come into work, I sit in the ambulance seat or I I'm driving this truck and I just, I'm just a cog in a machine and nobody is paying attention to me or understanding where I'm coming from or what my challenges are or my successes are. And I totally feel that. Um, In my previous job, one of my greatest opportunities was to lead a recruit academy and help brand new employees come on to the job and kind of get their feet under them. And one of the things I always tried to do is take some time, you know, even if it was just fueling up one of the apparatus, you know, spend some one-on-one time to get to know a little bit about, you know, where they're coming from, what their goals are, what's going well, what's not going well. And I think it really makes an impact when you're working with somebody and they take the time to really ask you, how's it going? There's this really good book called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's kind of the cookie cutter essential you know human interpersonal relationship business development book that you'll see on tons of lists and tons of different uh cultural you know pieces whether it's like workforce development or leadership or interpersonal relationships but one of the chapters is this idea of you know why human beings love puppies so much and basically the gist of the chapter I apologize Dale I don't want to paraphrase it too much is that Puppies are so excited to see you no matter what is going on in your life or how how frustrated you are at work or how tight your finances are. When you open the door and you come home, the best thing in the world just happened to that puppy, which means that you walk through the door. And I think that humans are getting in their own way a little bit when we don't celebrate each other. And I think this this first one, taking the time to get to know and celebrate people, it goes a long way. You know, if one of your coworkers has a success or gets through the paramedic program, I mean, think back to your own experiences. When you got your EMT or your AEMT or your paramedic or your flight medic or completed orientation or moved to a next job, what did your coworkers and your employer and the culture around you do? Did they celebrate it? If so, great. That's awesome. You know, one of the places I worked, they used to call it cakeable events, you know, where something good happened and they'd buy you a cake. And as silly as that might seem, it goes a long way. And I think people really appreciate when you are letting them know, hey, you know, you put in a lot of time and energy and you were successful and that's great. And, and we're all here to celebrate for you. I think being empathetic when people have either personal or professional failures. I think just being understanding that we're all human and most of the time we will be there at some point in our life as well. One of the best bonding experiences I can remember with some good leaders I had is when I saw them make a mistake. And it was this humanizing moment where it's like, oh man, they're not just like the boss who's going to do everything perfectly. They're also somebody that makes mistakes just like me. And if they can make a mistake, like maybe it's okay if I do too and we can move past past this and we can grow. So I I think it's really important that you have this balance of celebrating when things go well and being empathetic and understanding and supportive when things don't go well. And that might seem silly, but only 35% of the respondents in the survey agreed that their EMS agency provided recognition for performance. And, and most of them felt that um, this could be something that, that could be improved on. So the next item here is this idea of work-life balance. I would be shocked if you have not heard this term used in your organization. Work-life balance, meaning when are you on duty performing functions for your workplace? And when are you off and truly off, you know, kayaking without cell phone coverage, relaxing and not worrying about something else at work? Sometimes I find that as people move up in the organization, the work-life balance gets more skewed. They feel the need to be on call. One of the interesting points that one of my old ambulance partners used to tell me, he spent about 10 years in the military before he came to the fire department. This idea, he thought it was so silly that, that there are people in positions in EMS organizations and fire departments where the person directly below them has no idea what it is that their job entails. So in the military, the way that they he described it to me is that everybody needs to know the job above them because if something were to happen, they need to be able to immediately step into that role and make things happen. Understandably, and I think in fire and EMS departments, we don't necessarily think that way. You know, if you were if you were working on an apparatus and you are not the crew chief, and your your crew chief, um, you know, has uh, has an you know, gets overstimulated or needs a break or gets sick or for whatever reason isn't able to continue, would you be able to finish that call? Would you be able to continue asking the appropriate questions, talking on the radio? And I think it's important to make sure that, you know, the people that are directly below you have an understanding of what's going on above them. As far as work-life balance goes, there's a lot of pressure to be on all the time. I listened to this really interesting NPR talk that was on the radio and they talked about this idea of guardrails and guardrails meaning, you know, when you're a driver of a vehicle and you operate your vehicle on a road that is notoriously dangerous, most likely there are guardrails on the perimeter of that road in areas where you could suffer substantial bodily harm. And those guardrails are, are put there using your tax money to help keep you safe. And you didn't ask for those guardrails to be there because the expectation is that the government is going to identify these areas where there's a potential threat to your livelihood. And they're going to do what they can to protect you because it's their duty as the government who you have paid to try to support you in being safe. The way guardrails apply to the workplace is if you're the employee and you go, you clock out of work and you leave for the weekend, guardrails mean who is in charge of putting up these boundaries about when your employer can and cannot contact you? Is it the employee that's responsible for putting up these guardrails saying, Hey, you know, I'm clocking out at 5 PM on Friday. And if you need anything, I will be available at 8 AM on Monday. Or is it the employer who understands that They're not going to contact you because that is your protected off time. You're not being paid during that time. And therefore, you can't be expected to respond to and work for them in times when you're not scheduled. And I think this is a big debate because, you know, there are some in the age of instant communication. I bet most people who are listening to this have had their boss text them or shoot them an email on the weekend And the kind of unwritten expectation of the social norms we have now is this idea that like you should respond to it. But at the end of the day, if you don't respond to it, is that really wrong? Is there a set policy about when you should and shouldn't be on call? And I've had people tell me, "Oh, well, if that's the case, then my employer should be buying me a phone and paying my cell phone bill." Okay, maybe that's where your guardrail is. Maybe you don't feel that you should be using, you know, your personal time and your personal devices to communicate, and that's that's okay. And I think the bigger discussion that's going to grow out of this uh, generation that we're in now and the social norms is: should you be using your personal devices for workplace? events or workplace communication. And I think that's just a food for thought as you move through your organization, thinking about, you know, what are your personal guardrails? Is it that, you know, when you're on vacation, you should be unreachable? Is it that, you know, you can respond to quick things that are easy to solve, but you shouldn't be expected to be productive when you're on approved time off? I know for me personally, most of the time with my, with my full-time job, you know, I'm happy to solve any sort of problems that are urgent but most of the time things should be able to be solved without me being there without getting in contact with me if there's something urgent absolutely give me a call let's figure this out let's let's sort it out um and I think when I'm on vacation I really do like to check out that's something that's really important to me and I think employers can pay attention to where their employee lies on that spectrum and at least be like respectful and understanding of it to the best of their ability if not just set a clear expectation so number three is this communicate often both informally and formally with your workforce. So one of the things I noticed um in my previous job is when I started there, it's kind of like everything was a was a secret meeting. You know, there's a lot of different meetings going on and you know, these people would talk and those people would talk. And as a very junior new person, especially person who is like still on probation or orientation, you really didn't have any information about what's going on around you, and it can be kind of unsettling because you don't know what's happening. You don't know if a fire station's opening up, if it's shutting down, when the work schedule is going to be changed. You don't know any of that stuff. And uh, we got a new fire chief, and one of the things he instituted is this: you know, every month he would send out an email, which basically talked about all the projects that are happening, all the budgetary constraints any questions you have, you can email him. He'll answer them for you. He'll tell you what's going on. And it's kind of cool because you could pretty much see the whole mission of where we're going and how we're getting there as it's, as it's, as it's happening. It's almost like, you know, um, if you were to watch like an HGTV home improvement show, you get to watch the house get transformed like piece by piece, wall by wall over the course of the episode, you know, rather than, um, you know, just being like the, uh, home makeover TV show where you just show up and they move the bus and all of a sudden you see, you know, see something different. It's nice to see it come together. It's nice to be part of the process and at least have an idea of where the organization is going and then where you fit into that mission. So I I think that is really important. Um, And in this particular study, they said that 48% of respondents said that their managers uh, failed to provide clear and consistent information to personnel. This is just, just tell them what's happening. You know, outside of HR and personnel issues, there really shouldn't be any reason to hold things so close to the vest. Like unless there's some sort of trade secret and you're, you know, Tesla or SpaceX or Meta and you're trying to like get the leg up on your you know, technology and your cutting edge research and development for municipal fire and EMS or privatized fire and EMS. There's really not anything that needs to be that secret, at least in my opinion. I think transparency is always good for everyone. And a lot of times it's more efficient, too. Number four is this uh, schedule uh, structured rounding. So like you've probably heard of medical doctors doing rounding or grand rounds, something like that, where they're moving around the hospital once a day, they're seeing all their patients, they're reviewing all their charts, they're communicating with family and all the other doctors and everybody involved in that medical team. And they're basically giving that time set aside to make sure that you're going from top to bottom and you're taking a look at everything from every angle. And this this idea of scheduling this structured rounding is basically a hospital leadership thing that means management, leadership, um, and anybody that's uh, in charge of people should take time to go meet with them with the boots on the ground and see what's going on, see what they can do to help them understand where they're coming from. And I think that that's so pertinent and valuable. I know that it always made me feel better. When we were going through something challenging and my supervisor, whether it was a lieutenant or a captain or a chief or whoever would come like get a set of eyes on what we're dealing with, you know, and they'd be like, Oh man, you know, you only have a, you know, one container of blood glucose strips and you're using like one or two of those on every patient 30 times a day for weeks at a time. And you're like really struggling to meet the medical standards because the equipment is challenging. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's, let's solve that. So it's nice to know that they understand where you're coming from. And it's nice to know that it's part of their priority to save time to check in with you and see what's going on and just just be present with the workforce i think that's so so key we don't want to be you know like one of those companies from the movies where management's on the 27th floor and all the worker bees are on the 12th floor and below and they never see each other we want to try to avoid that especially in the work that we do uh, number five is pair leaders, emerging leaders and team members in mentor partnerships, which is so huge. I can't tell you the number of times that it's saved my bacon and bailed me out when I'm passionate about something and someone notices that and they put me with someone else that has been there. One of my favorite experiences that I've ever had in my entire professional career is having the opportunity to go working in the training division of a fire department and work under Chief Troy Ruggles. He's been on the show before, you can go back way back in season one and you can listen to the episode. This guy is an incredible resource, 35 year fire service veteran, ran his own fire department, been a training officer and an instructor for like decades, amazing individual. And I had the opportunity to go work directly underneath him, and when I when I ran into uh, different problems. I would be able to be like, hey, chief, like, can we just sit down and have a coffee and talk about this? And it was so cool to have that experience where I could go and work with him and learn his process. And then he could learn some of the new school, you know, uh, mail merge and all these fancy technology things that we're doing in this uh, data driven, you know, organized process that we have um, in the digital stratosphere. It was cool to see the nexus of those two worlds. And I, I don't think that either of us would have had such a rewarding experience if we had not had the opportunity to connect like that. So I th- I think if you have the opportunity to do that in your organization, even if it's new paramedics and old paramedics or, um, you know, new crew chiefs and old crew chiefs, you know, making sure that like these folks have time to interact with each other, I think is so key. It's really, really healthy to have that exchange of information. We could probably do a whole episode just on the generational differences, and I think that you know this this comes into play here is like making sure that this is like a reciprocal exchange of information is really really key. So number six is provide opportunities for leadership training or other career enhancing education. I may be a little bit uh, you know on the on the perifer- perimeter here with with this statement, but I believe that it is the duty of every organization. To encourage the professional and personal growth of its employees, I think that that should be a top goal of every organization is to not only obtain really good employees, but consistently make all of their employees, including upper management, better on a constant basis. And I think that one of the ways you do this is you provide these opportunities, whether it's leadership training or career enhancement or anything that's going to make that individual more valuable either to society as a whole or to the organization in specific. I think it's important to understand how the organization's role um, is going to adapt to support that. I think that um, that's also a really powerful recruitment strategy. I've always said that you know, it's a testament to an organization when you're able to provide the type of training that takes an entry level employee and puts them all the way up to the corner office. And I think that that's really true um, in great organizations as you can start out as a janitor and you can end as a CEO if the path is clear and they provide the support to let you get there. You know, just just find good people and train them and give them opportunities and they will prove to you that you've selected correctly and that you have picked the right pony in that race. And I think it's important to make sure that that's that's a priority of the organization. Number seven is this great workplace committees that include field practitioners. Some of you are probably uh, yelling at the radio right now because you agree with this so much making sure that the people who are making the decisions have done the job recently. This is super, super important. So I I have dealt with this in many different organizations where sometimes you have seniority or leadership that is in charge of making these decisions, but are not currently practicing in the environment with the challenges that the people who would be affected by this decisions are practicing in. And I think I'm not saying that you should just let, you know, the the young chickens run the roost. I'm saying that they need to be included and you need to take time to understand where they're coming from. And just like how we talked about um this scheduled rounding and making sure that you're you're spending time as a manager with your employees so you understand what's what what the deal is for them, what the reality is. I think that that's this is another way you can do that is making sure that your committees have people on them who represent the demographic of people that are going to be affected. So if you are making decisions about how the ambulances should be driven and what ambulances you're going to buy, those committees should include people who are driving and working on those ambulances because those have real ramifications. And I can't tell you how many times... You know, I've heard people say, well, it's easy when you go home at four o'clock and you leave us to deal with the ramifications of your decisions. But if you help people become part of the decision making process who are who are directly affected by that rule, you're going to have so much better buy in. And honestly, you'll probably have a better product at the end because you're including a diversity of voices and people have the ability to actually advocate for themselves and make decisions and improve their workplace. Again, another retention strategy, which is super, super key. And I think that that's something that um, we shouldn't overlook. Number eight is creating a process for empowering team members through autonomous decision making within the scope of their position. So one of my good friends, Dave, who we talked about uh, before, he's been on the show again, season one, you can go back and listen to him. I think we talked about uh, business leadership, ironically, of all things. Um, One of the things he always says that I love is he says when he talks with his management and when he and I have talked before, he says, explain to me what it is you want me to do and then get out of my way. That's all I need. Tell me, set clear expectations about what you're looking for and I can do that. I can meet that goal. But what I can't do is I can't start meeting this goal and have you putting these roadblocks in my way and constantly micromanage managing me and changing things. you know and, and if you want to destroy an employee's morale, the fastest way to do that is put them in charge of a project, let them submit their their findings to you and then change it all before you submit it. That's like the ultimate death sentence for uh, employee morale. Give people the opportunity to take ownership and make decisions. And if it's not the perfect decision, take a step back and think to yourself, is this not a perfect decision because it's going to affect the company negatively, or is it not a perfect decision because it's not the way I would do it? And if the answer is the latter, just take a breath. Let them learn. Um, Steve Pettit, one of our owners, always taught me that when I was working with uh less experienced providers on the ambulance or if I was precepting, you know, he would say, does it affect the outcome of the mission? And I'd be like, well, no, it's just not the best way to do it. And he's like, okay, then let it ride. And then afterwards, ask them why they made the decision and share your perspective. Because if you constantly intervene, all you're going to do is demoralize that person and they're not going to want to do anything. They're just going to want to avoid you or, you know, they're going to be intimidated to the point where, you know, they do everything in their power to not work with you. So what you need to do is you need to make sure that you give people the opportunity and the training and the support to start making independent decisions and then support them in that mission. If it's going to be effective, just do it. It's okay, right? Save those veto chips for something that's really important that really needs to be changed. Almost at the end here. So number nine is be encouraging and willing to discuss differing viewpoints and decisions. This is classic. I think that this is something that private business does a lot better than municipalities, especially seniority based municipalities, because private business, you have to let the best ideas win. That's how you stay competitive. If you bring on somebody and they have three months on the job and they have an incredible research and development plan that's going to really excel you beyond your competitors, you're going to support that individual and empower them to make those decisions. And Use the company to follow that development direction to be successful. You're not going to go with the 20-year person that has a much less efficient idea. You're going to go with the best idea, and uh, this is something Simon Sinek, uh, again, a great leadership uh, author and a great leadership uh, speaker, has always said too: is the best ideas have to win. You have to make sure that the people with the best ideas are supported and encouraged. And as a little asterisk on this, don't steal their idea. Right, Nobody wants a manager like that. It doesn't look good on you. It doesn't look good on the employee and it demoralizes everybody. If you have an employee that has a phenomenal idea, you are a great manager and you will get the credit by encouraging and supporting and uh, you know praising that person for that work ethic. And they're going to continue to perform and show up for you and do great things like that. And as a manager, that's the best thing you can do is be a facilitator of great people. So making sure that you understand that there's differing viewpoints and decisions and you should hear it out. At the end of the day, you are the boss. You can make the decision that needs to be made because you're the boss. But it's going to go a lot better if you're able to in a non-defensive, open way, listen to the differing viewpoints and listen to those differing decisions that people have about what they think should happen. And then just explain the problem to them because once in a while, they might surprise you and come up with a really good idea that's more efficient than what you thought. And that's okay. That's a good reflection on you that you facilitated that person's development to a point where they can speak up and make things better under your watch. That's the best thing you can do as a manager. That's awesome. Number 10, conduct annual employee engagement surveys and share the results with your workforce. This is, again, transparency. It's, it's the hot button um, topic of the decade. Um, there's a really good TED Talk on transparency. Uh, I can try to throw the link in the show notes and uh, you can listen to it. And it's, it's so important to be transparent as a business. You've heard kind of these themes of transparency over the last few bullet points here. There was even number three, remember, communicate often, both informally and formally with your workforce. That's transparency. That's what that is. And it's important that your employees know how things are going and then what you're doing to make them better. I think it's really empowering to work in an organization where employees feel like they are heard and understood. And when things aren't going well, that you're going to own that and you're going to make decisions to change. And then you're going to show them, right? Just like high school English, you're going to show, don't tell. You're not going to tell them that's getting better. You're going to show them, hey, here's the survey results. Here's what's improving. Here's what we identified as a problem. And here's what we're doing to fix it. I think that's going to go a long way with your workforce. And that's a great way to engage your people around you. This idea, uh, number 11, is this idea of stay interviews and exit interviews. So when you lose someone, most of you have probably heard of exit interviews. So you you lose a good employee and you bring them in and you say, hey, let's just talk a little bit about what led to your decision to leave the company and let's see if there's anything You know, that we can change in the organization to try to keep that from happening um, in the in the future. So attrition is a huge problem. And it's been a problem for a long time, especially in volunteer agencies and especially in uh, fire and EMS. So one of the things we can do is, is not only conduct exit interviews to identify what's not going well and what we can do to change to get better. But we can do preemptive stay interviews. So most of you probably have some sort of annual review or some sort of performance review. Sometimes it's even quarterly, especially when you're new. And when you're having those those uh, interviews, if you're the uh, employer or you're the supervisor or the leader, you can have this conversation about, hey, what trends are we seeing that make you happy to come to work? What trends are we seeing that make you disappointed in coming to work? What, when do you feel good? When do you feel bad? What can we do as an organization or as people to support you in the engagement of your organization? And I think that that's so crucial. Just like a lot of these have talked about, you know, like number one, take time to get to know your team members personally, celebrate and grieve personal moments of significance and recognize, you know, when they have uh, great triumphs. I think that taking the time to have those stay interviews and say, hey, I see you. I hear you. And I want to make sure that we are giving you what we owe you as an employer. And I'm a big believer in this idea that you shouldn't just come to work in a gray suit, sit in a cubicle, clock in at 9 a.m. and clock out at 5 p.m. and have no greater ambition in the world than getting a paycheck. I think that the employee should feel passionate and engaged and and really empowered at their job. And I think the employer should be the water and the sunlight to the garden to grow all of these incredible people to make them uh, so much more resilient as people, as humans, as workforce uh, members. And I, I think that's what people crave. As goofy as it is, you hear about these stories about, you know, you know, oh, Google has a ping pong table or, you know, they, they only work, you know, three days a week or they don't have any requirements for time. That's all designed to tap into the Passion and creativity and intelligence and drive of the human being, and then cultivate that. And I think we need to be flexible. I understand there's some nuances to fire and EMS, but I think getting taking time uh, to getting to know your people and making sure that we understand what your motivations are and how we can support you as a person, as you know, Nick Carson or as you know, John Smith. And what you need individually is only going to better both you and the organization, because that's what we want. We want to make our employees the best they can be so that they can give us the best as the as the employer. I think that's really key. The last one is this: create a mission, a vision, a value statement that embraces diversity, equity and inclusion and is developed with your employees input. So. I was privy to um one of the organizations I work for did this really really in-depth uh dive into who they are, where they're coming from and where they want to go. It was pretty cool because they included the people who worked in the organization, everybody from, you know, the brand new employee all the way up to the fire chief. And they had them work through these uh these questions about you know, what is the vision statement? What is our mission statement? Who are we and what do we do and why do we do it? And I thought it was cool that they included members of the organization in that development process. It wasn't just, you know, a group that sat in a closed door meeting and came up with, you know, the, the dictionary.com best words to motivate your small business or your municipality. This was, this was a really thoughtful, intelligent, um, group thinking activity that really pulled the best out of everybody's minds and everybody's experiences. And I, th- I think it shows when you are reading those those vision statements and mission statements, I think you're able to see that there was a lot of time and energy that was put put into that. One of the first questions I always have with an organization when they're trying to do something is always, what is the purpose of what you're doing? And if you can't answer what is the purpose of what we're doing, it's really challenging to be effective and it's really challenging to do a good job and engage other people when you don't feel passionate or understand what you're doing. So if your plan is to, uh, you know, to train new people to become great firefighters, I think one of the things you need to answer is why should they want to become good firefighters? Why should they want to become good firefighters here in this city, in this community? What's the purpose that the, that uh, they exist to serve? And I think if you have a really good understanding of that, and then you are passionate about it, and you bring the dedication to that mission, I think that it's only natural that they're going to want to be part of that. That's that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They want to. It's the clan mentality. They want to make sure that they're part of a group and that they feel that they have purpose and meaning. And I think. The vision statement and value statement is a way that we do that. One of the episodes we had in the podcast, I think it was season two, I'd have to look back, um, was we had Bath Bruard and Dan Batesy. He's been on a couple episodes, but one of the ones we talked about is this culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I think... Um, We learned through data in that episode that there are a lot of people that are feeling pretty excluded in these organizations, whether it's, um, you know, sexism or racism or classism or ageism. I think that there are people that want to do a good job and they haven't found the right culture where they're embraced. And I think we just need to uh, take a minute and try to think about everybody has a purpose. And one of the really interesting quotes that always stuck with me that really changed how I look at individuals is this idea of, you know, you wouldn't cut hair with an axe, and you wouldn't chop down a tree with a razor. And until I heard that there were a lot of times in my career where I'd be, you know, working on something or training somebody or working with someone else, and i would get really frustrated. I'd be like, well, this isn't this person is just doesn't have it. And I think, It's important to remember that everybody has strengths and weaknesses, including myself. Definitely including myself. And you need to think about that person might be an axe, and they may really struggle to cut hair. But man, if you need to cut down a tree, that's your person. Just like a razor is going to have a hard time cutting down a tree, but man, does it does it give a close shave? We need to think about. Where are people strong and where are people weak and how can we not only support them in their growth to make those things better, both their strengths and their weaknesses, but also how can we support the team and the culture in a way where we are complementary to each other and that we build a powerful, robust team because anybody that's done any level of biology Uh, research knows that biodiversity, difference in species in in an ecosphere is the best thing for everybody. And we just need to be understanding that we should really take time to get to know our employees. We should know what makes them tick. We should know what makes them happy and motivated. We should know what really uh, is scary to them. And we should be there to support them and each other. And, And that's really the key to getting through this workforce engagement. So if you've never read the NAEMT Summer Newsletter, this is just one page out of this entire newsletter. There's some really, really great stuff in here. And it's great just to have conversations about. Pick people in your organization who you know are going to become leaders who are growing and ask them these questions and say, hey, you know, you seem really smart. People seem to really like you. If you were going to create a mission, a vision and a value statement, where would you start? How would you do this? It's just great discussion and it helps pass the time. It's really healthy to exercise your mind and your spirit um, in this type of realm to make sure that you're thinking about how can we make this place the culture that nobody wants to leave and nobody wants to mess up and everybody wants to come into work and work hard because it's the place they want to be. I think that's really the key to retention is you got to dig down and understand the human motivations. It's just psychology and biology um, and and uh, sociology, just understanding how people integrate with each other. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little bit different. You know, it wasn't the give and take. I'm hoping, you know, next month we'll we'll get another guest on. We have some fresh guests uh coming down the pike here uh to get you some interesting interviews. I got some great ideas I think you're all gonna like. But once in a while, I just want to test myself a little bit. You know, we talked about this uh, effort to grow and develop professionally. I wanted to try doing a episode, you know, just with the listener and myself, just being able to just just talk and listen and just hear um, a little bit about, you know, what's on my brain when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because like I said, this, this was one article where, walking up from the mailbox, reading through the magazine, this just jumped out at me. I mean, all 12 of these things were things that I was like, you know, oh my goodness, this is this somebody, we need to talk about this. So I encourage you to read it. Um, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, nick at netsvt.com. And other than that, I hope you all stay safe. I hope you have an enjoyable summer. I hope you're, um, you know, working through. I know there's been some pretty significant flooding in our area over the last month. And, you know, I hope that everybody's staying safe. And if you need anything, you can always reach out. So thanks again for listening.